Welcome to All of You with Madeleine Munro, a space where we explore vulnerable conversations and topics centered around a trauma-informed approach to healing and growth, where we welcome all that we are exactly as we are. Hi, loved ones. Welcome to episode nine of the All of You podcast with me, Madeleine Munro. How are we all doing? It's been a busy couple of weeks over here for me. I It's been one of my close friends' wedding, so we took her away for a ceremony in Ubud in like not quite central Bali, but a bit north from where I live. And yeah, we went away for the weekend. It was really gorgeous and nourishing to have some sisterhood time and to do a rite of passage for blessing her into this next archetype this next phase of her life from being in a relationship to really taking the next step to a committed partnership and sacred union and so that was a couple of weeks ago the weekend that I released the last podcast and then last weekend I held the sacred union for them both so a conscious commitment ceremony in which we let go of former versions of ourselves uh, called in, you know, honoring the future rebirths that take place in relationships because we're continually evolving. And when we're on this path of growth and healing, I feel like each day can be a rebirth. So honoring this within the partnership with my dear friends and then a devoted foot washing ritual where they, yeah, washed each other's feet as a sign of coming into the relationship, humility, devotion, and service as a way to show love, care, and support in the way that the other may need. How can I love and support you in the way that you need rather than the way that I need? And then honoring the higher selves of them and then coming together to say vows and a conscious commitment to a relationship in service to the higher selves. So it was really gorgeous to yeah, honor my friends in this way and to create a ceremony based from rituals from their relationship and to honor the phase of their relationship and this rite of passage that we go through. I would love us to see marriage as a rite of passage, you know, an evolution, an up level in commitment. And what does that mean now? Like, what is that? How can we consciously do that? Um, you know, I was reflecting on is marriage forever and always? And how can we, you know, create vows that support the people in the relationship um so that was a joy and a pleasure and such a deep deep honor this last weekend and that was on the 11:11 portal so it's been grounding with the energy and doing some rituals to honor the blood red full moon um yeah and just grounding into the few weeks ahead so this episode coming up is a solo episode I can't wait for you to hear and it's all about the nervous system and dating. And so this is so important for me personally and why I want to share it because I feel like the nervous system is the lens of which we view people and experiences. And it is something that is often missed when we are taught about dating and relationships. It's a lot about mindset um and there is embodiment teachings as well but really understanding how our nervous systems impact the way that we have relationships 
And so I can't wait for you to listen. And if any of it resonates with you and you'd love to know more, feel free to have a look on my website and Instagram. And the Heal With Love program for women officially launched this week. So if you are looking to change your relationship patterns and dating patterns and to come and heal your relationship with intimacy, love and sex and pleasure, then our our eight-week program in January could be for you. I am so, 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 so excited for it. It is a birth of joy and years of lessons and actually coming from a place of women coming to me with two things mainly. And so this is heterosexual cisgender women. I work with many gender sexuality, but I'm trying to create spaces for people to find resonant notes um, while still being accessible. So there's still offers for other genders and sexualities, but how can I create certain spaces where certain lessons and healings may be more resonant? Um, And as someone that is pansexual um I also you know I love the spectrum of sexuality however I I note certain healings come up for women attracted to um men only so heterosexual women and yeah so these two main wounds that I've seen over the years have been um pain and challenges in dating and upset and resentment and anger around attracting emotionally unavailable men where women don't feel like they're really honored or feel like they're really seen by the the men that they're with or they notice they're resentful of the men that they're with and they're not creating the partnerships that they really want and they know that they're like they're worthy of having or perhaps they don't know that they're worthy of having but knowing that they see it on the tv screens or the movies or around them perhaps but can't understand why it's not showing up in their lives And then the second challenge I often see is like a disconnect from embodied pleasure themselves. And so perhaps challenges to experience pleasure in their own bodies or self-confidence or even orgasm or pleasure while experiencing intimacy with another. And so I've infused these two challenges that I often see with heterosexual um, women, like that they can have this space so that we can learn, heal, and grow from each other in this group program and tend to these and actually create a foundation for more loving relationships with themselves and then men that they meet. And if you, if this doesn't resonate for you, I'm going to have this quite a long intro. I'm really sharing a lot about the offerings that are coming up. But just to really honor that all the spaces that are available, um, the festival that I'm co-leading with a gorgeous colleague of mine, Jem Ayres, who I did the Healing with Full Body Orgasms episode on. We are running a festival, a conscious sexuality festival in May in Dorset in the UK. The tickets are not on sale yet. But this is a festival that is celebrating and championing diversity and inclusivity for everyone. So we're looking at creating a space for progressive sexuality uh, where we see where we include and create spaces for different sexualities and genders to learn about sexuality from teachers that specialize in these niches in these in these like certain approaches to intimacy and so yeah I look forward to hearing how this all lands with you and that you can find your space um, and the teachings that resonate with you the most And so I will lead on to the episode now. I'm sending you all so much love and I can't wait to hear from you. 
Hi, darling ones. I am so excited to share this teaching with you around the nervous system and dating. And like I shared in the intro, it's often a piece that I feel is missed. We have mindset and dating, and perhaps we have embodiment practices and rituals, but actually a, a lot of how we behave, and especially in terms of our relationships, is actually governed by our subconscious patterns stored within the autonomic nervous system. And so this is what we're going to look at today, the nervous system, trauma responses, and how these may show up when we're dating. Because also dating is so vulnerable and it requires so much courage and bravery. And often it can feel overwhelming. And so by understanding how our nervous system works, it can help provide a softer ground for our dating experiences and help us to come back to greater regulation, greater grounding, and so that dating doesn't feel so stimulating or overwhelming. Because what I often see is that people may date and go on these huge highs and lows. And therefore, no wonder we're tired or no wonder we're fed up and want to give up because our nervous system isn't wired to sustain these highs and lows and still find it rewarding and valuable. So by understanding our nervous system, it can help us to regulate ourselves, see our patterns, then create a softer experience when we're building budding relationships. And so our nervous system, so this is where we are going to start. So our nervous system is so important because it actually guides our relationship interactions. And for us to fully understand it, it's important for us to understand the idea of the window of present. And this episode is going to be quite a scientific episode. So I'm going to include some images in the show notes um, and a link to um, a document with these on for you to help understand more fully. And I really recommend taking it at your own pace. When we hear perhaps a lot of information, especially if it's science-based or can feel like it's very resonant for us, we can easily check out or become activated or triggered ourselves, but still continue listening. So perhaps you may notice this if you're listening to something and it hits home or you see yourself, actually, you don't quite know, but just now you're irritated, then I really recommend like taking time out, lying down, practicing self-care, going for a walk or getting on with your day. And then approaching these kinds of teachings in a way that honors a body first approach so honors what's going on in your body because then this means that you're actually getting like these secondary gains this is not just like an informative or educational episode it's actually allowing you to practice what i'm speaking about it's allowing you to practice to understand your own nervous system state so that you can interact with any work that i share any of my own teachings or coachings in a way from that place and a question that may feel supportive for you as you go through this is like, does this feel doable right now? Like, or if, if I could be 1% more comfortable, what would that look like? Because if we are approaching life and honoring ourselves in this way, then our nervous systems feel fully safe to expand to other realms. You know, I shared that comfort is the first step to safety. And then through safety, we can find pleasure. So allowing you to infuse what I'm actually teaching you with today and how you approach and how you listen to this episode. 
And so our nervous system is so important because it guides our relationship interactions. And as I was saying, it's based upon this concept, this theory around the window of presence. So this is the idea that we can hold, we can move through a certain amount of sensation or arousal. So for example, stimulus or experience before it is too overwhelming for our nervous system and the prefrontal cortex will go offline. So the brain system will change. So what this means is, is that if we have any experience in life, so for example, with dating, if we are going on a date and actually we're meeting this person and we're so nervous or we're really scared, we, if that goes beyond our capacity to hold and our nervous system to regulate, the best way that our nervous system can keep us safe is for the ANS, the autonomic nervous system, to switch online. The prefrontal cortex of the brain goes offline. And then this is where we move into being guided by being kept safe through trauma responses. And so I'm weaving in some quite big concepts here and weaving in some quite in-depth scientific theory. So all of these, so for example, if I'm touching upon trauma today, there will be further episodes on trauma itself, but I'm just sprinkling it in here so we can understand why the nervous system is so important. And so coming back to the nervous system and coming back to this idea that we have a window of presence, we have a certain capacity to hold sensation in an experience before our nervous system will move into the autonomic nervous system, the prefrontal cortex will come offline, and then that's how our body keeps safe. And this is what we would call a trauma response. So it's the way our body knows how to keep us safe when things may be too much. And so this leads me to a kind of a micro look at trauma itself. So trauma is a very big subject and one that I don't want to butcher in this kind of framework amongst another teaching, but in a succinct way, a way that we can look at trauma is too much, too soon, too quickly. And so we have this idea that trauma needs to be like a really big event, like a war or car crash. You know, it's only these things that can be substantiated or defined as trauma. When actually trauma is something that may be too far, like may happen too much, too quickly or too soon for our system to actually process. So therefore, our system, our ANS goes into a trauma response to keep us safe. And when we look at it through this lens and this understanding, we can see that actually our bodies may be going into different trauma responses for different things because we're all different. What may be too much, too soon, too quickly for me may not be for someone else. So therefore, we can never map what trauma is onto someone else's experience because we are not here to judge or perceive how their bodies may respond to something. And so this is the idea behind trauma, and it may be a one-off event, it may be um, perpetual, continual trauma, and it may be ancestral trauma, developmental trauma. Developmental trauma is one of my specialities. It's where we don't get our needs met growing up and how, the, how this impacts how we have relationships when we're older. 
And so there's many different aspects, societal trauma, the way society impacts different genders, different races, minorities. There's different ways that trauma may be perceived and through the different lens. And if we really simplify it, I bring it back down to the notion of, is this happening too, is it too much right now? Is it happening too quickly? And is it happening too soon for me to process? And so when this may happen, what can happen is that we may be triggered. And so this is when a trauma response may come up. Well, it, yeah, will come up because our prefrontal cortex. So our prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that is responsible for social engagement, for attunement with another human being, for empathy, for, for connection, for understanding fully what's going on. And so when this goes offline and we are beyond our window of presence, our window of tolerance, there's two different words for it, but I tend to prefer window of presence because I feel like we do so much tolerance in like too much tolerating in our lives that the window of presence feels more attuned with my worldview. And so when we're in this place of too much, too soon, too quickly, we are in a, a trauma response. Our prefrontal cortex is offline. And therefore, we may be viewing any external situation as a threat to our safety. And so this is so important in dating because we may brush past feeling overwhelmed. We may brush past feeling uh, like triggered or activated by a date or an inexperience. But actually what happens then within our system, if we actually move into a trauma response, then the way that we view our date or experience is going to be shown through this lens. Like I really describe our nervous system as the lens as which we see the world. So for example, if I'm going on a date with someone and time is really important to me, and so we've agreed, I've agreed to meet someone at 7 p.m. and they show up at 20 past seven and they don't message. If time is really important to me, then that may be really activating. I may be already annoyed. And perhaps if a trigger or something or something experienced from my childhood, um, such as parents always being late, parents not picking up from school, parents saying they'll be there when they, they don't show up, or like caregivers not prioritizing the time, then this may actually feel like too much for my system. And I may actually go into a trauma response before the date has even arrived. And, and I'll go into the trauma responses more fully in a moment. But for example, maybe if my default is fight, I may already be in a fight response before the date's arrived. And I, I may be thinking, fuck this. Like, what the fuck? Who is this person? And it's like the difference here to knowing it's pushing up like boundaries. And when it's a, trauma response or when our nervous system is impacted and trying to keep us safe through the lens of these responses is that if it is a boundary and I'm like, hey, this isn't okay for me, I can communicate this with you and we're going to clear it and we're going to talk about it. Time is really important to me. And I felt disregarded when you didn't message me that you're going to be late. And then you showed up without apologizing. I didn't feel cared for or seen or held in this experience. So that's where it may cross my boundary, my time boundary with someone. But when it may actually push us 
past the window of presence and push our nervous systems in the ANS in different ways, then actually that fight response may look like something like, yeah, fuck this, I'm not doing this, this person's a dick, I don't like them. Like, And then what we might do is actually see the whole date through that lens. And we may met, like mar that whole experience through this. And therefore that whole perception of that person is seen through that nervous system trauma response rather than coming back into regulation, processing the trigger that came up, and then going through the date in a regulated and grounded place. I was about to say, does this make sense? And and ask some questions, and I realized it is a podcast. (laughs) Okay, so we have given an overview of how important it is to understand our own window of presence and how our nervous system may impact our dates. So how actually the nervous system acts like a lens and I'll share some social cues that may arise of which we may see another human being. And therefore, understanding our nervous system is actually the foundation of our relationships because we are dysregulated or we are processing with someone and we are prefrontal cortex, the, the part of the brain that is responsible for attuned communication is offline and we try to communicate with someone in that place, it's likely to lead to deeper ruptures and deeper miscommunications and so for me this is where we start how can we understand how our bodies how our nervous systems impact the stories that we hold about others and then how can we understand and how to regulate ourselves so that we can see more truth in others rather than through the lens of our own past experiences and so i've shared a bit around the window of presence and then when we go beyond the window of presence when something may happen that's too much, too soon, or too quickly, then this may lead us to a place where our body does its best to take care of us through a trauma response. And so if we break this down slightly further, when we are in our window of tolerance, our nervous system is regulated, our window of presence. I'm gonna use them interchangeably, but my preference is window of presence. And so when we're in our window of presence, our nervous system is regulated. And so therefore we may feel open and curious. We may be able to feel our bodies. So what this means is like we can feel our ground, our feet on the ground. We can kind of feel our limbs. We perhaps may even feel playful. We may feel open to connection. We will feel present when someone is talking to us. So these are some great signs to kind of understand like where we are. Like, am I in my window of presence? Am I present with someone else? Can I feel my body? Am I open and curious? Just noticing these signs. And perhaps even now as you're listening, I'm curious if you can notice this is where you're at now. Do any of these embodied cues feel resonant for you? Um, Does this feel like you're in your window of presence right now? And if you're not, the invitation is to perhaps do or like do or take care of yourself in the way that you need. And I'll share perhaps some techniques that may be helpful um, depending on where your nervous system is. And so if we are outside of our window of presence, we are going to move into hyper arousal or hyper arousal. So hyper, H-Y-P-E-R, hyper arousal, is when 
our nervous system is upregulated. So the way I just kind of describe this to students and clients is like where there's more speed in the system. And this is where we may feel emotional overwhelm, panic, perhaps racing thoughts, anxiety, perhaps a bit of irritation. So it's that kind of the cues come with a sense of speed within the system, which is why sometimes I can ask, I ask clients like, how fast do you feel like you're going right now? Because when we feel like things are very fast, often it's signaling to us that we're actually in hyper arousal and that's the speed of our nervous system. And therefore, if that's the speed of our nervous system, the world can feel really fast because that's the lens of which we're viewing it. And so we have hyper arousal and we also have hypo arousal. So H-Y-P-O arousal. And I will have diagrams in the show notes for you for you to visualize this because I know this actually fully landed for me when I started to see the diagrams. And inviting you to listen to this as many times as you need it took me, I think, yeah, quite a few trainings to really understand and simplify the concepts of nervous system theory. And so if we're in hypo arousal, again, if we're using this sense of speed, then there's a sense of slowness here. Perhaps we don't feel any feelings or energy. Perhaps we can't think. Perhaps there's a sense of cloudiness, shutdown, disconnect, numbness, perhaps even depression or shame. And then this can tell us that we may be in hypo arousal. And so we can feel the difference between hyper arousal and hypo arousal. So the cues, the embodied cues and the emotional cues are different. And that's how we kind of understand where we may be on this spectrum. And so when we are learning about hyper arousal, then this is when our nervous system is in a sympathetic nervous system state. So perhaps you may hear um, fight or flight and rest and digest. These are the this is a common uh, misconception of how the nervous system operates, and um, now it's been debunked that well, there's more advanced theories that it doesn't operate just rest and digest and fight and flight. And actually, we now have polyvagal theory, um, which is quite complex but it shows us that there's more branches than rest and digest and fight or flight. So this is why I'm describing this in a sense of window of presence, upregulation, so to hyper, and downregulation to hypo, so that we can get a, a sense of a scale of where our nervous system works. And so if we're moving into hyper, that's when we have a sympathetic nervous system state and it without safety. So if there's safety, sympathetic may feel like exercise, dance, play. We may feel engaged. We may feel that we want to like do things. We can do things. Whereas if there isn't safety, it may look like fight, flight, fawn, hyper-socialization or hypervigilance. And so if we're out of our window of tolerance, but we're, we're in hypo-arousal, then we may be, we will be in a parasympathetic nervous system state. So this is the slower, this is the down regulation of the nervous system, which is more of a freeze or a freeze shutdown on our dorsal state. So that's when there's without safety. If there is safety, this place can actually look like bliss, 
surrender profound orgasmic experiences. So here, as I shared earlier, this theory around like rest, digest, and fight or flight, this that isn't actually a succinct view of the nervous system because actually we have our window of presence, we have hyper arousal. That means we have sympathetic with safety and without safety. So safety, play, games, except like excitement, I can do attitude. Without safety, perhaps it's a fight, flight, fawn. And then we have hypo arousal, which is the parasympathetic nervous system state with safety may look like profound orgasmic experiences, bliss, surrender, a deep, deep relaxed state. But without safety, it may look like freeze, dorsal freeze, shut down dissociation. So we can understand that it's much more complex than just rest and digest and fight or flight. So this is an overview of nervous system theory, a brief overview to, so, so that we can understand how we weave it into our relationships and how it is the foundation of which we view other people. And so the way that our body keeps us safe is through trauma responses and they're involuntary ways. So we don't actually have a choice how they happen. So when the prefrontal cortex goes offline, our engagement goes offline, our social engagement, and we aren't actually in choice at this place. So this is why I often recommend for people that maybe be going through ruptures um, or conflict that you take time to downregulate yourselves if you notice that you are triggered. Because when we communicate when we're triggered, we often may not be saying things that we that we would later hold ourselves to. And so how can we care for ourselves when our body, when our nervous system is taking over for us uh, rather than our uh, social engagement systems? Okay, so I can't wait to get into this bit with you around how the different responses may show up in dating and then how you can see them in yourselves and then some techniques for how you can ground yourselves when you are dating. Okay, so we have our window of, perhaps we're on a date, we have our own our window of presence, we're feeling good, but something actually happens and then we are triggered and then we go out of our window of presence, either into paras, so down-regulated into parasympathetic state, hypo-arousal, or up-regulated into sympathetic state without safety and hyper-arousal. So we're going to begin with hypo-arousal. So these are immobilized responses. So what you may experience is like um, perhaps a sense of like immobility or voicelessness, um, a numbness to what is happening in the body. So perhaps you can kind of notice this, and this is because the endorphins are raising the pain threshold for you to cope with the experience, but it may feel like a bit of a numbness or a voicelessness. And their physiological cues may feel like cold, fuzzy, um, fuzzy thinking, fuzzy vision. Perhaps you feel it wordless, a bit dreamy. I know when I'm in freeze, when I feel like I'm, I'm just checking out of it. I like don't quite feel fully in my body. And it's like I'm like a, a bit there, but I'm also not. And this is actually how I noticed to put boundaries in when I was seeing people or when I was in like group settings. Because I don't know if you've had it. But I would um, actually be in group settings and 
I would start to check out. I wouldn't be fully present. And so for me growing up, I think that's a bit normal. We're forced to be in school in certain hours. Um, I actually had the coping mechanism of like maladaptive daydreaming. So actually I kind of grew up perhaps in quite a freezy state. So often would just be there, but perhaps not be fully there. But then as an adult now, if I notice that I'm not present in a situation, I will often say, hey, I, I think I, I feel like complete here. Um, I can notice myself not being fully present. This has been a, this has been a beautiful experience. And like, I, I, and I'm, I'm going because I, otherwise I am not showing up. I'm not present in the connection with someone. And I would rather honor that my body is feeling, you know, like tired or perhaps it's feeling too much too soon, too quickly. Or so, or so perhaps like I've gone beyond my own capacity and like wrap up that experience and go home rather than stay there and not be present. And so the relational cues, yeah, maybe zoning out, hazy, foggy, you can't voice what you want or you can't speak. So how may this show up if you're in, in, on a date? So if you're on a date, what may happen is that perhaps you know what you want to say, but you can't get it out. Or perhaps you can't even think of what you want to say and you're just going along with the date. So this is what I've seen with clients is that clients may know within the first moments, or even when they first see someone or the first few minutes, that they don't want to continue this date. This is not right. Their body is a no. But there isn't the capacity to, to end the date at this time, or that doesn't feel like that doesn't feel doable. So if we're asking, you know, what feels doable right now? It doesn't feel doable. It doesn't feel within reach to end the date. So perhaps you were staying on the date, but you know or actually you might not know until after because you'll be in, in this place of like zoning out. So you, perhaps you can feel yourself zoning out, not being present. Perhaps you're thinking about what you're going to do later. You're thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow. Perhaps you're even thinking about you're going to get back on the dating apps when you get home. All these thoughts are showing like, ah, I'm perhaps feeling a bit like breezy right now. I'm not fully present. And it may also show up in, going along with whatever the date may want. So perhaps the date, your, your date is dictating X, Y, and Z, and they're saying to do this or that. And within you, you feel like you can't say no. It's beyond your capacity. It's not doable to say no right now. So perhaps you feel like you're just like going along with it. You just go along with it and you're just, that's the safest thing for your body right now is to kind of like just keep saying, yes, you can't actually voice the no at this point. And, you know, like honoring that when we're in these places of freeze, we're not acting out of like conscious choice. These are trauma responses. They are run by our like subconscious patterns. So those patterns picked up in childhood of the ways that we learn how to keep safe or the ways that we learn how to get love from our caregivers, which are embedded within the neurological patterns of our nervous systems. So therefore, if you notice like, oh my gosh, I was in, I said yes, and I actually meant no. Like, can you have compassion for yourself? Because perhaps you were checking out and perhaps you weren't fully there and you're in freeze. And you're, the best way that your body knew how to keep you safe was to kind of check out from the experience and to, to kind of keep in it. And so, yeah, there's different ways that it may show up. And then also perhaps you may start to feel really tired. Um, yeah, like sleepy, not wanting to be there. 
but perhaps not really knowing why like sometimes I feel like with freeze I've got like a cloud over my head and it feels like fit like yeah hazy foggy I'm like what is going on here like I don't quite know what it is but I just don't feel fully connected to myself and so these freeze responses um you know I mentioned some here that may also resonate with a fawn response so um they're, they're different spectrums of the nervous system, but there can be similarities depending on where we are within our nervous system and what, and what patterns that we've picked up growing up. And so if this resonates for you and you notice that freeze may be a pattern, maybe like a, and by pattern, I don't mean a conscious choice, but a pattern embedded within your subconscious of a default trauma response. I know, for example, I tend to go towards freeze and fawn. Whereas other people may tend to go towards fight or flight. That's their more dominant pattern. And we all tend to have more dominant trauma responses that we find the safety within. And so if freeze feels resonant for you, so this is a hypo arousal, a downregulated response, the invitation is how can we create um, arousals to bring us back into the window of presence? So the invitation is perhaps... Um, doing a breathing technique, such as counting the breath in and out. And then if you can, can you lengthen the breath while remaining comfortable? So lengthening the breath, but keeping it a one-one breath. So inhaling for one and exhaling for one. And perhaps just repeating that um, for a few moments. And Another technique might be when you find yourself in freeze, and this is what I tend to do when I'm on dates if I notice it, is um, bringing some movement or sensation back to my body through my fingers or my toes. So perhaps that means um, pushing your toes against the ground. So binding the ground beneath your feet and then scrunching your toes in and then letting go. And scrunching your toes in again and letting go. And I do this a few times and it helps to bring some sensation back to my body. Um, and then it can help bring some activation back to the extremities of the body and then back into our main uh, conjuncture. And so you can also do this with your hands. Perhaps if you stretch out your hands and then you clump them into a ball, stretch them out and then clump them into a ball again. So these are again, it's how a small digestible wave that we can slowly and in a doable way bring a bit more speed, a bit more presence, a bit more sensation back to the body and thawing out that freeze. So this is where that you may see people um, recommend like cathartic or like jumping up and down. And, and, you know, I love, I love dance. I love jumping. I love emotional processing but when we are in this place and we're trying to bring speed or sensation back to our body and we do it through big movements, they may also be overwhelming for our system. So for example, that's why with emotional catharsis, if we are feeling something and then we are banging and we are pushing and we are screaming, we often may go into overwhelm and further dysregulation. So this is why I recommend small doable practices because we want to come back into a place of regulation rather than pendulate into another ex extremity 
And this is where like shaking, this is beautiful. If you notice you feel freeze, I invite like small shakes within the body, perhaps shaking your hands gently. But this this is different from like a full body, almost visceral or violent shaking response that I can sometimes see on TikTok or Instagram. And that actually can bring our body further out of regulation. If we have started the day, we're feeling good, and we're in our window of presence, but then something activates, something triggers us, and then we move into hyperarousal, a sympathetic state without safety, so speed, so mobilized responses, these may include flight, fight, hypersocialization or fawn, or hypervigilate, hypervigilance. So this is where there may be like more, f- more sensation within the system. And so we'll start with flight. So this is the way that our body is keeping us safe by moving away from a perceived or actual threat um, as quickly as possible. And this is a really important point even in itself that when we are activated, when we're triggered, it's like our body's trying to keep us safe from a perceived or actual threat. So this is why I'm so that's an advocate for nervous system theory around relationships and dating because we may see the person outside of us as a threat if our own nervous system isn't regulated. And we can project our own lack of safety within ourselves onto someone else. And this isn't to discard when someone actually isn't a safe person or when there's, you know, challenging behavior, but it's just to take note that when we are beyond our window of presence, we may actually perceive other people's behaviors as a threat. And so with flight, what this may show up as like needing to leave a situation um, like physically or perhaps you'll also check out, but it's got a different sensation to freeze checking out. It's got more of a faster flavor. So a freeze when you may be checking out is like more hazy, a bit like a cloud, whereas flight maybe um, there's speed to it. There's like... You, there's a part where your 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 head wants to go, but your body can't. So that's where that's how it kind of separates, and you feel like urgently need to leave. And that's like it can be a desire to even avoid conflict or communication. So flight on a date. So this um, is important because so say something happens. I'm trying to think of other things that maybe trigger on a date. Say our date says something around different worldviews that don't resonate with us and we notice ourselves uh, we are triggered and so a part of us it may be quite rightly like to leave and be like this is not right however if we can come into regulation we might be able to find relational repair through this and so what may happen is if I'm trying to think of this example of like worldviews or opinions, so different of opinions. So when it may just be, be a different of opinion and it's not a trigger, we may think, okay, this isn't right. I am, I don't agree with you and I want to end this date early, date early and I can communicate that. But when it's like a flight response, it's like, I'm done. I need to get out of here. Uh, I'm gone. And sometimes that can be really safe in dates. Sometimes someone says something and I've been there and I'm like, yeah, I am not okay. Like I'm, I'm going to leave and, I, and it's happening now and, I, and, I'm, and I'm getting my stuff and going. 
And so this isn't to diminish like the innate wisdom of your body. It's just to provide awareness of the impact of our nervous system when we're in relationships. So it may be to yeah, leave the situation. And so if we can notice this, then we can kind of understand like, is this my own flight response or have what they said, what they've said is actually a bit of an orange flag. And it's a bit of like an orange indicator or even a red indicator. And we're thinking, yeah, this is a no for me. So it can help us to notice and discern between somewhere, whether someone's compatible with us or whether like whether it's our own previous triggers showing up in the relational dynamic. And so this is where it can be important to notice. And I invite you perhaps after this episode is to kind of reflect on which nervous system tend to show up for you. As I shared, mine are dominantly um, fawn and freeze. And so this is where I notice oh, when I'm on dates, I tend to want to like people please. And so I have to really catch myself and think, no, I'm not going to people please. And I'm going to sit the sensation of this and the awkwardness and the conflict because that's my inner work rather than going into people pleasing. And so I'm going to provide some uh, support and tools for you at the end when I've gone through all the hyper arousal responses. And so the next one is a fight. So this is where we perceive a threat and we move towards the threat with like speed, intensity. Um, it may be like irritation, anger, or aggression. And what we may feel within our bodies is like heat, speed, like less mental cognition, perhaps trembling, tense muscles, like a rapid heart rate. And this is interesting to notice because often dates can bring stuff up for us, you know, like it's so understandable that we may meet someone and think this isn't right for me or we have differing views. And so it's noticing where is this, like the choice and a conscious understanding and where is this my patterns embedded within my ANS and my subconscious showing up here? And so Kimberly Ann Johnson, who's a brilliant teacher on female sexuality, nervous system and trauma, um, something I learned from her, which is really powerful, was around like irritation is one of the first cues of a fight response. And the example that she used was like when you've had you've slept with someone or perhaps you wake up and I might butcher her exact example but it was upon like this idea but perhaps when you've been intimate with someone you've had sex with someone and like you're irritated afterwards and like noticing that irritation is often like ah where is I beyond my capacity and now now this irritation is actually like a fight response but so where can you notice this irritation is like hey my boundaries are being crossed or I'm hurt or I'm set or where is it wow, did I go beyond my own capacity and now I'm feeling irritated and I'm projecting it onto you and you're the source of my irritation. So irritation, aggressiveness, blame and criticism onto the other. And this is so important for dating because a pattern I can see is that a fight, a fight response may be dominant for someone and the, therefore the dominant experience may be to blame and criticize someone else. And therefore, you may be moving through your dating and relational experiences, always thinking like, and this is the, these are the stories I hear, you know, all insert gender, our dicks, our trash, need therapy, there's no good people out there. There's no one, like, no one's willing to do the work. And I'm like, 
Where is this your fight response and you're creating safety for yourself by creating disconnect with another? So like by creating disconnect with another, you actually create more safety for yourselves. And therefore this plays out within your relationships. And a further hyperarousal response, which I also see, is flock. And this is coming together in numbers, uh, space or resources to unite against a common threat. And so this may feel in your body similar, these upregulated embodied cues, such as heat, speed, tense muscles, heart rate, increased breathing or adrenaline. Um, and this is something I see perpetuated through reality TV shows, pop culture. Um, yeah, and it's this essence of coming together with people to kind of collude um, in the behavior of your, like in the, in collude in your behavior after a date or through a dating experience and making the other person wrong. So for example, if you go on a date with someone and perhaps they choose a restaurant that you don't like or um, they choose a restaurant that's not suited to your dietary needs or something. In this moment, it is your responsibility to voice your dislike or your preference to this. So for example, hi, yeah, that actually I love your choice here and I love that's right for you. There's not actually anything on the menu that's going to be suitable for me. So please, can we look at somewhere else or can we try somewhere different? So that's like a communicating through your differences. But what I may see is if someone chooses a restaurant and then someone doesn't voice their needs or their preferences and instead they flock with their friends and they kind of collude and gossip about their date. And this may look like, oh my, oh my gosh, I cannot believe they chose this restaurant. They don't know me, like, because how would they know you if you're like early dating? And like, or how could they have such bad taste? Like, this menu is so bad. Um, like all of these pieces. And it's not actually giving space to consciously move through the differences with the person that you're in a relationship to. Because the difference in needs is between you and your date. And it's your responsibility to voice your preferences, your desires, and your needs with them so that they can meet you in them. And therefore, then they can, they can say, yeah, I totally hear you. Or like, oh, you know what? I thought the restaurant was good, but I'm so hearing you. Actually, we can do a lot better. Or like, yeah. So but what may happen is someone not voicing these with the person they're on the date with. And then what can happen is afterwards, colluding with friends, and then gossiping or putting down that person and making them wrong for this. And it can have this fueling of like better than or like, yeah, victimization. Like how could they not know? And then superiority, like they're not good enough. What a loser. And this is bypassing like relational healing and the integrity in relationships and the transparency and honesty that requires. Because actually when we're in our capacity, we will communicate this with someone. So the flock comes from, this isn't within our embodied responses right now. So the way that I know how to process it is to create safety by getting that reflection and that enabling through others. And so we're trying to notice that, like where on dates have you not voiced your needs or desires with someone and then blame them for not knowing? You know, and I see it a lot. Like he never, he never takes me to the right place. So like, 
she how could she even think that how could she think I like that and it's like where we're we not taking our grievances or our voices to the very people that need to know them and actually colluding in this kind of like gossiping superiority behaviors that maybe flock and so this is flock within dating and I'm sharing it through that lens um, however, in different circumstances and experiences, flock may be a life, and often, well, they all are life-saving and body responses, but flock can really help people come together when there's a, a societal or cultural threat. Um, and so not to disregard the power of flock and the healing power of flock for communities and people to come together. We're just noticing in dating experiences how it may show up and hinder our capacity to have the loving relationships that we want. So I'm going to go through two more embodied responses, and there are more, however, for the purpose of this episode and in becoming a four-hour workshop, I'm going to try my best to keep it succinct. And so we're going to move to fawn or hyper-socialization. And yeah, I know this, I know this one well. It's probably my one of my dominant embodied trauma responses growing up. Um, and it's a way of acting in a way to appease or accommodate or soothe um, unsafe behavior in order to mitigate that behavior. So it's like a way of like, um, how can I get you on side so that I feel safe? So like, I, I'm almost gonna accommodate this behavior so that I can try and create some safety for myself. And within the body, it may feel like um, a quickened heart, heart rate, over-engaged social nervous system, so like a social awareness of what's going on, um, accommodating voice or anxiety. And so as I'm thinking of uh, examples, I'm just, I'm just using my own now for porn. Um, and it may be like, I think I've been on dates where someone had said something and that I've not agreed with. And in that moment, I may the trigger may come up. And perhaps it also let's honor the external situation. Perhaps it hasn't felt safe. So let's name it in the moment. Perhaps we don't know this one person fully. Perhaps we're not in a setting where we can say this isn't um, something that I resonate with or something I agree with. Um, but when someone says something and we may be triggered, we've gone outside our window of presence and so we're now in form, how it would look or, or perhaps feel is uh, this people pleasing. So perhaps I, I remember like here being on dates with people and thinking, oh my gosh, oh, like I do not agree with this at all. And I would just appease and I would hear their point of view and I'd make space for their point of view. Perhaps I'd even make a joke about it. Like all while inside, my nervous system is absolutely going crazy. And I'm thinking like, in my head, I'm thinking, what the fuck? I can't believe this person thinks this. But externally, all I could do was just, just hear them and even perhaps laugh like laugh with them and like joke with them because I didn't have the safety to say yeah I don't agree with this and I and, and like and this isn't I'm not going to sit here and hear you talk about this so noticing that and so perhaps it may also show up with over accommodating stuff you know perhaps before when I've been in people pleasing dominant places um I would really like and I you know this is getting out of the political context context of like uh, paying for stuff this the different conversation but perhaps I'd always perhaps push to pay the bill I would like yeah caretake and and want to make sure that they're okay because it came from a place of if they're okay I'm okay and so this is like 
yeah and, and body demands response and what what i noticed was actually and this is like a really beautiful conversation i'd love to go into at another point is like the subtleness of this then plays out actually in a lot of the relationships so these embodied emerging responses there's examples here but how do these show up um in a more subtle and nuanced way so for example actually by you know forming one of my dominant responses caretaking and rescuing was therefore one of my dominant relational experiences and therefore i often found myself in codependent relationships i would often felt like i needed to give in order to um have relationships and needed to overgive and needed to bypass my own boundaries so that someone would love me or care for me um back and i would then and so this then created an even further conversation around like wow where does codependency show up and where do these relational patterns show up from our trauma responses within our our nervous system because that's the greater picture here is that if we have grown up and our nervous system has coped with certain behaviors with our caretakers then these nervous system responses fight flight fawn freeze then will be um, like imprinted within our relational dynamics so for me with fawn it showed up then with codependency and i found myself in relationships with people that i thought i was almost too scared to say my truth yeah and so i feel really grateful for the work um that i've done so that i now have transparent and useful relationships and i don't actually find myself um in fawn much ever now and if i do it often tells me something actually about the connection because then once we understand our responses it's like okay so where am i noticing why is this coming up in this relationship and why is there safety in the connection because i know if i'm feeling safe in the connection and safe in myself then i wouldn't be acting in this way so what is that piece that's where it's an invitation for us to lead on to like talk about our attachment patterns more deeply because if we look at this and so for example if we're like secure and regulated then i notice that if i'm feeling anxious or if i'm feeling slightly annoyed and i'm like what is it in the connection that's bringing that up in me because i'm mainly secure i wasn't always secure but mainly i'm i'm secure and i notice now in my connections if that's this coming up what is it and we can see these attachment patterns playing out with the nervous system because these will play out in the way we have conflict as well so i'm going to share the final a final hyper arousal and then i'll move into a bit of attachment and um reflection and so the final um response that i'm going to share today is hypervigilance so this is embodying a state of guarded or heightened alertness so it's like ready to spot the danger or respond to it at any moment perhaps we have dilated pupils we're breathing quickly or we feel restless and there's high sensitivities to noise light or other people's expressions and relationally this may show up as being sensitive to others people's actions or analysis of people's words and so i wanted to include this today because when this may show up we may become hyper vigilant around someone else so if we're not feeling safe safe in ourselves if our nervous system is dysregulated how it can show up is and this dominant question that i constantly see from clients is like do they like me does it, if they said this does it mean that they like me what does it mean when they put their hand there what does it mean that they said this and this is showing us that we're disconnected from ourselves we're disconnected from our own sense of 
regulation, our own groundedness, our own worth. And we have gone into this hypervigilant behavior of being hyperfixated on the other in order to try and create safety for ourselves. And so if you find this is you on a date and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what do they mean by that? Do they like me? They want to get a drink after? What does this mean? Perhaps coming back to the place of like, do I like that? Uh, do they have the non-negotiables that I'm looking for? How does my body feel around that? Like, how do how do I feel? Do I feel open and expressive when I can be with them? Or do I actually feel on edge? Like, just noticing and bringing the attention back to you. And so if these hyperarousal responses are present for you, so this is like this fight, flight, fawn, hypervigilance, then we notice our nervous systems more in that sympathetic state without safety. So inviting you to try some one, two breathing. So inhaling perhaps for a count of four and exhaling for a count of eight. So therefore elongating your outward breath and allowing it to create some slowness in your system through that. And another way of creating safety maybe um, when you're in a hyper arousal, like putting your hands on your body and perhaps like um, squeezing or slowly like kneading um, parts of your body that may feel um, grounding for you. So for example, for me, it's often with my thighs. I perhaps may squeeze my thighs if I feel like I'm a bit in hyper arousal and bring back into a place of safety. And so for all the embodied emergent responses, the trauma responses, a really beautiful way to move through them is through resourcing. And so I recommend resourcing for everyone, wherever you're doing, or like whatever you're doing, because it's just so beautiful. And it was well, more than beautiful. It, it's, it's vital for us to create more nervous system regulation. And so this is through connecting through a sense of resource in your body or a sense of resource within your external world or, or yeah, your external world or experience. So for example, and I think, and there's a free internal resourcing uh, meditation on my website that you can download. And then, so that would be fi finding resource perhaps through like the groundedness. I always go to my glutes, the groundedness of my glutes. How does that feel and connecting to that sense of safety that I have within my body or my spine? And then an external source, maybe I love to take essential oils with me on a date. I love to take jewelry that I can feel safe with, or like even knowing that I've messaged someone and like they know where I am and like these external sense of safety so that I can navigate my own nervous system, knowing that I've got a wide base of support. And so I'm so grateful that you have, yeah, really engaged with, uh, this so far and all this scientific material here and I hope it's been useful because our embodied experiences are the lens that we view the world and therefore the lens that we have relationships with and this leads me to how our nervous system impacts our relationships through attachment theory and so for example if we have embodied emergency responses such as fight or flight, therefore, there may be more avoidance strategies in our present in our relationships. And if we have perhaps more fawn um, that is present, then that maybe lead us to perhaps more anxious attachment strategies. And so we're starting to weave together this picture of 
how does my body feel? What does my body need to feel more grounded and regulated? What does my nervous system need to feel present and connected with another human being? What happens when this isn't available to me? Like, where do I go? What behavior patterns come up? for me, what emotions come up, what physiological cues, what stories about the other person that may come up. And then how does this impact my ongoing relationships? And this is where we can see the pattern of embodied emergency responses present in our attachment strategies. And that is just an evolution of what I've shared with us today. It's like a, it's like the next step and understanding how in relationship, how these trauma responses show up for us. I hope this has been helpful and you've digested this and integrated it in a way that feels nourishing and doable for you. I will share diagrams on the show notes and link them there. You can try the free resourcing meditation on my website. If you're starting to see yourself in these patterns, and you are looking at dating, you can join the dating course in January. There's lots of resources available. So perhaps taking this in a digestible way for the nervous system at like one drop at a time, one step at a time, and allowing the information to land with you today, here and now, knowing that you can revisit at any time. And there's other resources to support you on your journey of empowering, fulfilling relationships from a place of integrity, choice and love thank you for joining me and co-creating this community together i am so grateful you are here 